This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, tonight, we share the evening with an old friend. Well, no, let's make that two old friends, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. The characters are beautifully played by Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. Together, they starred in 220 episodes, which aired weekly on Mondays from 8.30 to 9 p.m. The series was based on the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and many episodes were recorded in front of a live audience. I didn't know that before. Basil Rathbone, an English actor who rose to prominence in the United Kingdom as a Shakespearean stage actor, went on to appear in more than 70 films, primarily costume dramas, swashbucklers, and occasionally horror films. Nigel Bruce, who played Dr. Watson, did you know he abandoned a career in the city of London Stock Exchange <laughs> and pursued, uh, pursued a career as a professional actor? In October of 1920, as a matter of fact, he came to Canada as a stage manager for Henry V, uh, also playing Montague Jordan in Eliza Comes to Stay. And in 1934, he moved to Hollywood. Bruce typically played buffoonish, fuzzy-minded gentlemen. So let's join both for the episode The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and The Manor House Case. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Well, here's the patio of Dr. Watson's Northern California bungalow, but where's the doctor? Here I am, Mr. Bartow. Out in the garden. Okay, I'll be right there. Oh, sitting by the fish pond, huh, Doctor? Yes, my boy. It's rather pleasant out here for a change. Has it ever occurred to you how stupid the expression of a goldfish is, Mr. Bartow? <laughs> well, I can't say I've ever given it much thought, Doctor. Why? You see this foolish little fellow here with his silly little mouth opening and closing as though he were constantly astonished? What is this? I thought you were a fish lover. Yes, I am. But as I was brooding over tonight's story, that goldfish seemed to be making faces at me as though it was trying to remind me of how my face must have looked on a certain June evening in 1890. It sounds to me as if you're going to tell a story against yourself, Doctor. I am, young fellow, my lad. What happened? One Sunday morning in 1890, I dropped round to visit my friend in Baker Street. Mrs. Hudson told me that he was out, but suggested that I wait in our old rooms for his return and promised me a pot of strong tea and some buttered scones as an inducement. 
As I walked into the sitting room, I was astonished to see Holmes standing there, a bag in one hand and a coat in the other. My dear chap, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, Holmes. I'm surprised to see you, though. Mrs. Hudson told me that you were out. I have been, Watson, on a case. I just returned by my private entrance for some, uh, some necessary apparatus. Oh, could I come with you? My wife's away, you know, but my... My practice is quite slack at the moment. Not even my trusty old friend Watson can accompany me on this case. It's a ticklish business. The fate of two nations hangs in the balance. I must work alone. Sorry to leave you like this, old fellow. Goodbye. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Mrs. Hudson's making me some tea and some buttered scones. Can't you wait and, and share them with me? Ha, <laughs> ha. Huh? Good old Watson. You're the one fixed point in a changing age. Empires are tottering and you talk of tea and buttered scones. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Spiegel. Goodbye, old fellow. Oh, don't look so sad, old fellow. Hmm? The time is ripe. I'll tell you all about the case and you can write it up in your memoirs. Goodbye, old boy. Buttered scones. I haven't got any appetite for them now. Did you enjoy the scones, Dr. Watson? Oh, I'm afraid my appetite disappeared when Mr. Holmes left. It did, did it? <laughs> I see you've eaten them all just the same. What? Oh, oh yes, so I did. <laughs> I've got a surprise for you, Doctor. Inspector Lestrade is downstairs. Oh, he? He came to see Mr. Holmes, but when I told him he was out, the inspector said he'd like to see you. Oh, he did? Oh, splendid. I'll ask him to come up, uh, please, will you, will you, Mrs. Hudson? Aye, sir. Will you come up, please, Inspector? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Can I butter you up a few more scones? No, 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 thank you. I, I really couldn't eat them. I'll just go and make some more the same. He'll eat them if I fix them, Doc. No, 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 really, thank you. Uh, ah, oh, there you are, Lestrade. Yeah, hello, Dr. Watson. Here's a pretty kettle of fish and no mistake. Huh? What's the trouble? Well, I want Mr. Holmes' help on a most important case. Uh, where's he gone? Well, he's out on a very, um secret matter. You know where he is, Doctor? Well, naturally, I know where he is, Lestrade. My old friend never keeps me in the dark, but I'm not at liberty to tell you. Uh, perhaps an, I, I could help you a bit. After all, I, I'm not exactly unfamiliar with, with my friend's methods. That's true, but uh, just the same. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, Doctor, two heads are always better than one. Even if one is a sheep's head, as my old mother used to say. Are you suggesting that I'm a sheep's head? No, I'm not suggesting anything, Doctor. I'm just telling you what my old mother used to say. I'm really not very interested in what your old mother used to say. Right. And, um... And now, Lestrade, your problem, please. Well, it's simple enough, Doctor. A German diplomat, Graf Otto von Eldenstein is his name, is in England on a very secret mission. Graf Otto von Handelstein? Huh. Yes, I... I've heard of him. Pray continue. Well, this von Eldenstein staying at the manor house at Ampton Wick, not far out of London. Now, this morning, somebody slipped past his guards and threw a bomb into his study. His secretary was killed, and he would have been too, if it hadn't been that he'd left the room a few minutes earlier. Well, these second-hand investigations are very little useless, Todd. We must both go down to the manor house at Hampton Wick and examine the situation on the spot. All right. Uh, get out the timetable and look up the next train, will you? Yes. Yeah. And while you're doing that, I'll... I'll go and tell Mrs. Hudson where I'm going. All right, right you are, Doctor. Here are the scones, Doctor. I was just bringing them up to you. Scones? Well, who can think of scones when an empire is tottering? Are you sure you're feeling quite well, well of Doctor? Of course I am. Now, listen to me, Mrs. Hudson. If Mr. Holmes should return, please tell him that I've gone to Hampton Wick 
with Inspector Lestrade to investigate the von Heldenstein business. The von Heldenstein business? I don't... Could I tell him that? Uh, uh, did, uh, Mr. Holmes didn't, uh, didn't tell you where he was going, did he? No, Doctor, he didn't. Oh, I see. All right, well, uh... Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you. Are you sure you don't want the scones, Doctor? Uh, well, well uh, I might as well take them along. I just say Lestrade could eat them. Ah, you're the one, Doctor. <laughs> yes, I suppose this is rather exciting. Just the same, I wish I knew what Holmes was doing at this moment. You are Herr Sherlock Holmes? Yes, I presume Graf Otto von Heldenstein is expecting me? Yeah, Herr Holmes. He was so anxious that you would come here to the manor house. I left immediately after I got his summons. He's very weak. He has lost much blood from the injuries he received this morning. Injuries that no one knows about, eh? Nein, Herr Holmes. Mm -hmm. Only I, his old and faithful servant, knows. Uh, follow me, please. I will take you to him. France, is that you, Franz? Yeah, Herr Graf. And with me is Herr Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Thank heaven you are here, Holmes. I hope I can be of service to you, sir. You can. You can be of great service. Sit close to my bed, Holmes. I have not much strength to speak. I'm listening, Herr Graf. You, you must impersonate me. Yes, so I gathered when I received your message. I am in England on a most delicate and important mission for the German government. Within a few weeks, uh, your government and mine will conclude a treaty outlining the German and British spheres of interest in Africa. I see. Obviously, that bomb was thrown this morning by someone who does not wish the treaty to be concluded. Yeah, yeah exactly, Herr Holmes. That is why you must impersonate me. In 24 hours' time, I shall be well enough to resume my work. Uh, in the meanwhile... Uh, you can keep the secret of my injuries and also have the opportunity of finding the assassin. I'm quite prepared to undertake the impersonation, sir, but how can I possibly hope to deceive the members of your personal staff? Uh, with the exception of Franz here and poor Fräulein Ullmeyer, who was killed in the explosion that injured me, uh, my staff is new. Uh, they have joined me here from the German consulate in London. Uh, they will believe that you are me. Very well, sir. I'll try it. Uh, I've heard of your skill in the art of uh, disguises. Uh, and also, it seems to me uh, we are not so uh, unlike each other. I was about to comment on that fact myself, sir. Yes, I think that a moustache and side whiskers will work wonders. If I can make the accent reasonably convincing. I will coach you, my friend. <clears throat> splendid. Help me off with my coat, will you, Franz? Get me towels and a mirror. Jawohl, Herr Holmes. And while I'm applying my makeup, Herr Graf, perhaps you will be so good as to give me the complete circumstances regarding this morning's attempt on your life. If I'm to impersonate you successfully, I must have all the facts at my fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> Wunderbar. It is amazing, Herr Holmes. Even I can hardly tell you from my mask. Yes, I think it's the wig that puts the finish, finishing touch to my disguise. How, how did it look to you, Herr Graf? Mm -hmm. Colossal. I feel as if I were looking into a mirror. <laughs> and my accent, you uh, find it 
Reasonably convincing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Extremely so. Try it once again, Herr Holmes. Yeah, Herr Graf. It gives me the greatest pleasure to do what you ask of me. <laughs> Prächtig. Splendid, Herr Holmes. Splendid. Uh, a cab has drawn up at the gate. Two men are getting out. You can see them from the window here. Oh, it's the police, possibly, or... Great uh... Scott. It's Watson and Friends of yours, Herr Holmes. Uh, one of them is my close colleague, and the other is a detective inspector from Scotland Yard. Oh, you must keep up the deception, even with your friends. As a matter of fact, my friends' investigations will prove an excellent mask for my own search for the assassin. But, uh, well, this is a delicious situation. I, I hope they won't recognize me. Graf Otto von Hildenstein, gentlemen. You wish to see me? Uh, how do you do, sir? My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and this is Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard. Uh, how do you do, sir? Inspector, uh, Dr. Watson, may I ask if I have the great distinction of addressing the Dr. Watson, friend of Sherlock Holmes? Oh, I'm flattered that you know me, Herr Graf. <laughs> but who does not know the great Dr. Watson? In my country, many people think that you are the real brains of the combination. Oh, Tell me, Herr Doctor, is that true? Well, I wouldn't exactly say that. Uh, of course, you have both come here to investigate what occurred this morning. Yes, we have, sir. Uh, sit and see, uh, please sit down. Uh, if you can find any furniture that is unbroken. Oh, thank you, sir. I must say the place is in a bit of a mess. And now, Herr Gruff, uh, please tell us exactly what happened. Yeah. I will tell you everything, Herr Doctor. This morning I was working in here with my secretary, poor Fräulein Ulmer. I had occasion to go upstairs to my room to get some necessary papers. As I came down the staircase into return here, I heard a scream from Fräulein Ulmer. Uh, a moment later, there was a most frightful explosion. The concussion stunned me. When I came to, my poor secretary was dead. Yeah, what people were inside the house at the uh, time of the explosion? The servants were all at the church. The only people here was my secretary who was killed. My servant, Franz, I can vouch for him because he was upstairs when I went for my documents. There were three other people in the house, however. Madame Lisa Varona, my hostess and the owner of this house. A young Englishman from the home office. His name is Hilary Adams. And the third person in the house was a member of the German embassy, Colonel Schweiger. Oh, then it's just a matter of cross-questioning the three of them as to their alibis at the time of the explosion. Uh, I'll take them one at a time, Lestrade. Ring for that servant fellow. What was his name? Uh, Franz. Uh, Franz, that's his name. At least a rare privilege to watch a master detective at work. Yes, Herr Graf, I... I shouldn't be surprised if my methods teach you quite a bit about the the art of detection. Herr Dr. Watson, this is Colonel Schweiger of the German Embassy. Uh, where were you, Colonel Schweiger, when the explosion occurred this morning? I was discussing the military tactics of Clausewitz with one of the guards near the front gates. Yeah, well, what was the name of the guard, sir? Carter. Mr. Arthur Carter. Yeah, I'll check on that. Uh, thank you, Colonel Schweiger. Please ask Madame Lissa Verona to come in with you. Nothing but questions. Leave me alone. Uh, well, uh, uh, sorry, madam. Uh, all I want to know is where were you when the explosion occurred this morning? Where was I? In my boudoir, listening to that stupid babbling of the young Englishman, Hilary Adams. Sir Graf, when I offered you my house, I did not know that I would have to put up with the making of your staff. Everywhere he followed. No, 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 no. Please don't get so excited, Madame Verona. Questions, questions. 
Stupid young English puppies making crap eyes at me. My beautiful house blown to pieces and all you do it. Mr. Adams, where were you when the explosion occurred? In Madame Verona's suite. You swear to that? Of course I do. You may ask her. I've already done so, sir. Thank you, Mr. Adams. Thank you. That's all. You, you, you may go. Well, Lestrade, did you check on Colonel Schweiger's alibi? Yes, Doctor. He was telling the truth. He was talking to the Colonel when the explosion happened. Dear me, Herr Doctor, your examination has not been very successful, has it, sir? Everyone has an alibi. Yes, but the alibis of Madame Verona and the young Englishman, Hilary Adams, depend on each other's words. They might be lying. And you've been dealing with criminals as long as I have, Herr Graf. You learn to look far deeper than the obvious. Yes, the Strad and I shall return to London now and make some inquiries. You will hear from me, sir, before the day is over. <laughs> obliged to you, Doctor, for a very nice meal. Huh. Although we've been talking in circles. Not entirely. Anyway, I have come to one important decision. Oh, and what's that, Doctor? Madame Verona is addicted to the use of drugs. The pupils of her eyes were contracted to pinpoints. It's an invariable indication of drug addiction. Lestrade, you go to Scotland Yard and see what you can find out about her, and I'll go back to my house. You can meet me there later. Mary wasn't away. It's the cook side out, confounded. I can't see a thing. I'll strike a match. That's better. Hello? Who's that in the drawing room? Who is it? Watson! I thought you'd never come. Holmes, where else do you spring from? Never mind that, old chap. I've come to warn you. Keep out of the von Hildenstein business if you value your life. Well, how did you know that I was working on the case? I'm time to tell you now, but I implore you. Keep out of it. There are dangerous forces at work. Forces that would snuff out your life without a thought. Please believe me, old chap. And do as I... Quick, Watson! Out of the dining room! Out of the dining You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. All the time I need to remind you that what with this being National Wine Week... If you want to take a gift to a young lady, why not take her a bottle of Petri California Muscatel? Petri Muscatel is the kind of wine you'd serve a queen. That Petri Muscatel has the flavor of plump, sun-ripened muscat grapes, and is it ever good? You couldn't ask for a more delicious after-dinner wine, or a more delicious wine to serve when company comes. Remember, it's Muscatel, but the important thing is, it's Petri. Petri Muscatel. And now back to Dr. Watson and tonight's adventure, the Manor House case. That was a fine place to break off your story, Doctor, I must say. <laughs> Mr. Bartell, I, 
I thought I'd keep you in as much suspense as possible. Well, what happened next? Were you and Holmes injured when that bomb exploded? No, no, my boy. The concussion of the explosion knocked me out for a few minutes. When I came to, Holmes had disappeared. And I can imagine where he'd gone. Go on, Doctor. Soon after that, Lestrade arrived on the scene, and after a quick and fruitless examination of the premises, we decided to return once more to the manor house. And so, an hour later, I was telling my story to the man I still thought to be the Graf Otto von Heldenstein. But this is dreadful, Herr Doctor. The bomb might easily have killed you. Oh, I was ready for it, sir. Quick thinking and presence of mind are my stock in trade, you know. When I heard the ghastly crash, I, I found myself under the dining room table. Oh, I'm most distressed that you yourself should be exposed to such oh. danger. <laughs> Not at all, Herr Graf. As a matter of fact, I exposed myself deliberately to the attack. It's an old army trick, you know, what we call drawing the enemy's fire. Come now, Doctor. <laughs> You don't mean to tell us that you expected to have that bomb chucked through the window at you? Of course I did, Lestrade. The assassin knew that I was in working on the case. He followed me to London and fell into my trap, just as I intended him to, by uh, showing his hand. Well, I don't see what he's got you, Doctor. I myself must admit I cannot see that you are any nearer to finding the murderer. On the contrary, sir, the case is nearly solved. Well, I don't see how you figure that one out, Doctor. An elementary, my dear Lestrade, elementary. One of the three people under suspicion followed me to my house tonight. The second bomb was thrown at approximately seven o'clock. Now, it's only a question of finding which one of the three cannot account for his movements at that time... Then we shall know the murderer. You want to cross-examine them again, Doctor? Yes, Lestrade. Bring them in, please. One at a time. Colonel Schweiger, where were you at uh, seven o'clock tonight? Discussing the military tactics of Clausewitz with Mr. Carter of the Home Office Guards. Great Scott, that's what were you doing at eleven o'clock this morning, too. It would take many days of discussion for two students to appreciate all the subtleties of Clausewitz. Yeah, I'll check on that again, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Lestrade. And uh, please ask Madame Verona to come in, will you? Questions, questions, and still more questions. Where was I seven tonight, you asked me? I was listening to more babbling from that stupid young Englishman. Ask him for yourself. Mr. Adams, where were you at seven tonight? With Madame Verona in her boudoir. There is a curious sameness about the pattern of life in this house. Is there not, Herr Doctor? Well, I checked on Colonel Schweiger's statement. It was true. He was talking to Carter at seven o'clock, all right. Uh, well, could the uh, other two account for themselves, Doctor? Well, once again, they alibi for each other, but this time I begin to doubt them. Oh, why, why do you say that, Herr Doctor? Well, I would accept Madame Verona's alibi for young Adams. Obviously, she loathes the boy and wouldn't perjure herself for him. On the other hand, he worships her, and I'm certain that he wouldn't have any scruples about lying to provide an alibi for her. Well, you've got a point there, Doctor. Yes, I regard her with great suspicion. Here, yeah, come in. Uh... Yes, Mr. Adams? Dr. Watson, I've been worrying about Madame Verona. I was afraid you wouldn't believe my alibi for her. Indeed? I have another, an, an unbiased witness, who can testify that Madame Verona was in this house at seven tonight. Come in, Franz. Jawohl, Dediger Herr. Franz, did you see Madame Verona at seven tonight? Yeah. I take up uh, two glasses of sherry to her. Uh, it was a few minutes before seven. Uh, thank you, Franz. Uh, uh, thank you, Mr. Adams. I appreciate your concern. You may go. Yes. Yeah. 
Seems to me we're still traveling in circles, Doctor. On the contrary, my dear Lestrade, the case is solved. Indeed. You astonish me, Herr Doctor. Who is the guilty party? We will know in a minute, sir. Lestrade, bring the three suspects in here, please. Aye, sir. When they are assembled, I will give you the solution to the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the mystery is solved, and I must apologize for any little convenience, inconvenience that you've undergone. You, Madame Verona, you, Colonel Schweiger, and you, Mr. Adams, have all unshakable alibis. Therefore, the solution's obvious. As my dear friend Sherlock Holmes has often said, eliminate the impossible, and whatever remains, no matter how improbable, is the truth. Therefore, the only person that could have thrown both bombs is you or so, yourself, Graf Otto von Heldenstein. By George, I believe you're right, Doctor. Uh, what have you got to say for yourself, sir? That I, too, Herr Doctor, have an unshakable alibi. Oh, what is it? I was with you, Herr Doctor, when the second bomb was thrown. What on me. earth are you talking about? I was alone, sir. Oh, come now, old fellow. That's not true. What? <laughs> Holmes. What? Holmes, how could you? Mr. Holmes. Well, strike me. Don't be angry with me, old chap. Oh, you made a complete... No, 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 my dear fellow. I thought you got the real solution to the case, as usual, Mr. Yes, Mr. Starr, I have. Well, let's hear it, then. Might as well show me up. Oh, my dear Watson, stop berating yourself. You really handled the case very well. You made only one mistake. Huh? May I revise that dictum of mine which you uh, just quoted? Eliminate the possible, and then if nothing remains, some part of the impossible must be possible. Which part? Colonel Schmeiker's alibi was valid. So was Madame Verona's, since it was corroborated by the trusty France. But what does your alibi rest on, Mr. Adams? Madame Verona's told you I was here at seven. Yes, but Madame Verona is addicted to the use of drugs. I'm sure that you spotted that back, Watson. Yes, yes, Madame Verona, I did. Your mistake, old chap, was in not drawing the correct conclusion. Mr. Adams' alibi depends on the unsupported word of a drug addict. Now, the use of drugs notoriously destroys, first of all, the sense of time. Any trick such as the resetting of clocks could be worked on her without her noticing. Her word on a time alibi is completely valueless. Then Adams is the man who... Fools, meddlers, why don't you... He's a murderer and a traitor. Well, now that we're back in Baker Street, Watson, I may as well tell you that I had my uh, suspicions of Adams from the first. You did? Why? Well, my brother Mycroft had told me that he was suspected of being a traitor at heart. He's been under observation for some years. He was purposely given this assignment as a definite test of his integrity. Well, I understand it all now, Holmes. It's the same. I did make it. I asked myself in front of Lestrade, too. Oh, don't worry about it, old chap. Please don't worry. You you always uh, can correct that impression, you know. Yours will be the last word. Oh, how do you mean? Well, when you come to write this story in your memoirs, my dear fellow, you can always do a little, uh, what should we say, uh, re-editing of your own part. Posterity never need know. Doctor, that was really a swell story. Oh, I'm glad you liked it, sort of. Made me out of a bit of a fool, though. Oh, nothing of the kind, Doctor. I agree with Holmes. You did a splendid job. Oh, you really think After it? all, you, you did line up his suspects for him, didn't you? Well, uh, well, come to think of it, yes, 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 of course I did. And you did make the point that Madame Verona was a drug addict. Yes, yes, I just so I did. And you did say that Mr. Adams' alibi could be a lie. I tell you, you're right. I did solve that case for Holmes, after all. Mr. Bartell, 
Did anyone ever tell you that you're, you're really a very smart young man? I, I wish you and I could work on a case together. We can, starting tonight. No. Uh, really? Sure. In celebration of National Wine Week, I brought you a case of Petri wine. And I suggest we start on it right now with a glass of port. <laughs> what a fellow. <laughs> what a wine. <laughs> Petri wine. <laughs> we know that's really good because the Petri family has been making fine wine since the 1800s. <laughs> for generations. Ever since they started the Petri business, the Petri family has been turning luscious California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. And during all that time, they've been handing on down from father to son, from father to son all their skill and knowledge and experience. The Petri wine you buy today is the result of all that skill and knowledge and experience. That's why you can't go wrong when you choose a Petri wine, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what's the prescription for next week's story? Well, now, let me see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, I think I can promise you a most entertaining adventure. It concerns a famous magician, a female spy of unusual beauty... And a man even more brilliant than Holmes himself. His older brother, Mycroft. Sounds terrific, Doctor. And before we say goodnight to our friends, I want to remind them that our men overseas need the Merchant Marine to bring them back home. The Merchant Marine got them there, and it'll bring them back if you help. Right now, the Merchant Marine needs experienced mates, engineers, ABs, firemen, oiler, water tenders, and chief cooks. If you qualify... Write or wire collect at once to Merchant Marine, Washington 25, D.C. Bring the boys home. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Greek Interpreter. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro Goldwyn Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Father Knows Best on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Robert Young to star in Father Knows Best. Mother, are post-40% bran flakes really the best-tasting cereal of them all? Well, your father says so, and Father Knows Best. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's largest-selling brand flakes, Post 40% brand flakes, And by Instant Postum, the good-tasting drink that's entirely caffeine-free. of good citizenship, according to one James Anderson, lies not only in doing one's part toward the betterment of his society, but in volunteering to do one's part, not sitting back and waiting to be asked. 
As a matter of fact, this was the subject of a lecture delivered to his children one evening last week in the white frame house on Maple Street. But that was last week. This evening, Jim has forgotten the whole thing as he sits in the den, scanning the newspaper while his helpmate, Margaret, sits nearby with a darning basket full of socks. Like this. Jim. Hmm? I know I've asked you this before, dear, but I've never really gotten a satisfactory answer. What's that, dear? Please tell me, how do you manage to wear your socks out in the arches? Oh, Margaret, I don't do that. Well, just look at this sock. Must be faulty workmanship. Nobody could possibly wear socks out in the arch. Mm. Well, that's why I want to know how you do it. I must ask Mrs. Davis if Ed does that. Oh, now, don't go spreading that all over the neighborhood. Mommy! You know, you ought to let someone check your feet sometime, like, uh, say, the Smithsonian Institute. Mommy, Mm. where's Daddy? Oh, hello, Daddy. Hello, kitten. Say, Daddy, do you remember that talk you gave us about citizens and all that? Citizenship? Yeah, that's it. I certainly do. I keep hoping that it sunk in a little bit. I remembered it. Good. At our Robins meeting after school today, we heard about a family that moved here, and their daddy can't get any work, and they need help. So, I did like you said, Daddy. I volunteered to help them. Well, that's real nice, Kathy. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. If everyone would willingly and voluntarily do his little bit for the community... This would be a better world to live in. How do you propose to help this family, Kathy? I volunteered that old tan suit of Daddy's. Did what? They said it just fit him, too. Wait a minute. You mean you gave my good suit away? Dear, that wasn't your good suit. Well, I still wear it. It was a wonderful piece of material. Good herringbone pattern. Did I do wrong, Daddy? Well... You said you wanted us to volunteer. Yes, well, that's right. I do want you to, but after this, I wish you'd check with me before you go around volunteering my good clothes. He, uh, he's already got the suit, huh? Uh-huh. And the hat, too. The hat? Not my brown one. Uh-huh. Good. You looked awful in that hat. It was comfortable. Takes a long time to break a hat in to where it really feels good on you. Daddy... Do you want me to just forget all that stuff you told us? No, 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 no. I want you to remember all that stuff and put it into action. But uh, check with me first. Yes, Daddy. Well, now that that's settled, I want you to go upstairs and start getting ready for bed, Kathy. Ah, gee, it's early, Mommy. I know it, but I want you to wash your hair. Do I have to? I don't know where you Robins hold your meetings, but it must be in a sand pit. Now, you get upstairs and shampoo your head real good. Okay. (laughs) Well, looks like your words of wisdom the other night made quite an impression after all. Yes, too good an impression. I always felt good in that suit. Oh, Jim, stop worrying about that suit. It was time you stopped wearing it. Everyone around town was beginning to think that was the only suit you had. Well, suits have a certain feel to them. Some of them give a man a sense of confidence. Never get another one that hung like that on me. I hope not. (laughs) Dad! Seems like I've lost an old friend. Dad! In the den, bud. Oh, hi. Where was our wandering boy been tonight? Oh, junior highway. Well, good. What's new with the highway crowd? Oh, we're going to have a big affair and and invite all the dads. The junior highway hijinks. Pretty good name, huh? Great. 
Uh, there's something I want to check with you, Dad. Okay, go ahead and check. Well, it came up about having entertainment at this thing. You know, get up some acts and junk. Uh-huh. And they needed somebody to be the head of it, and nobody said anything. And then I remembered what you said the other night about volunteering and being a good citizen and all that. And... Well, I'm glad to hear that you remembered, bud. Doing one's part voluntarily and cheerfully makes for a better society. Yeah. So you volunteered, huh? Well, yeah, in a way. Uh, I told them I wanted to check with you first. Oh, it's perfectly all right with me. You sure now? Oh, yes. In fact, I think it's a good idea. Well, swell. I'll call Joe Phillips and tell him it's all set. Uh, Joe's the head general chairman. I see. Okay to use the phone in here? Sure, go ahead. You won't bother us. Okay. I'm glad to see Bud take an active part in things. He needs to be a little more aggressive. Yes. He's inclined to sit back and let someone else be the leader. Hello, Joe. Bud. You home? So am I. <laughs> I always like that intelligent conversation he and Joe had. Well, yeah, Joe. Uh, that's what I called you up about. I just talked to Dad, and he said he'd be happy to head up the entertainment. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, he was all for it, so it's all set, Joe. Now, wait a minute. Well, okay, Joe. See you tomorrow. Bye. Now, just a second, bud. Let me get this straight. I thought you were volunteering for this job. Well, yeah. I volunteered you. <laughs> Would you explain that just a little more fully? Well, you see, Dad, we're going to have the dads at this hijack. Yes, yes, I got that. And like last year, we decided to put them on different committees. And I volunteered you for the entertainment. Oh, me. Well, can't you unvolunteer me? Well, you said it was all right before I called Joe. And he's already put you down for it. Oh, that's just dandy. Doing one's part voluntarily and cheerfully makes for better society. All right, Margaret. Well, what acts do you think you'll get up, Dad? I don't know. Well, you better get to work on it right away because they want to pin up a program for it. Uh-huh. Look, Bud, don't you think it would be better if you boys did all the work yourselves? Oh, no. This is a tradition. What is? Working the dads in on this thing. Last year, they said Ollie Ziegler's dad headed up the entertainment, and it was the best they ever had. They're still talking about it. They are, huh? Yeah, but I told them you'd do even better. Well, Bud, I appreciate your loyalty and all well, that. Well, uh, uh, I got to get upstairs. Got some homework to do. Well, wait, Bud. Sure was keen of you to volunteer, Dad. Yeah, wasn't it? Night. Hmm. Judging from the results of that uh, citizenship speech you made to the children, it must have been one of the best of your career. Well, it's still the right idea. It was just misinterpreted. Exactly what kind of uh, entertainment are you going to put on? Going to work up a few acrobatic stunts? All right, don't rub it in. Mother! Where's she been, out with Ralph again? No, I think she's just been to the library. Where are you, Mother? In the den, Betty. Oh, Mother, it looks like I'm... Oh, I didn't know you were in here, Father. Why, do you want to talk to your mother? Oh, no. No, I want to talk to you, too. I want your advice. Uh-oh. What trouble am I in now? Oh, you're not in any trouble, Father. Well, just how am I involved in whatever this is? Well, you're not involved at all. Well, that's the first good news I've had all day. Sit down. This I want to hear. Are you in any trouble, Betty? Well, not exactly, but it looks like I'm going to be a witness. A witness? What kind of a witness? A regular kind, you know, in court. Oh, dear. It happened on the way home from the library. I was just getting ready to cross Oak Street when these two cars bumped into each other. What two cars? I don't know exactly. Bob Reynolds and some woman. 
Who's Bob Reynolds? Mother, he's a senior at college, and he has the most wonderful brown eyes you've ever seen. <laughs> Actually, Mother, I mean they're utterly penetrating. All right, we know about his eyes, but who is he? <laughs> they're, they're penetrating, but yet they're friendly at the same time. Oh, fine. You're going to make a wonderful witness. <laughs> I hope so, for his sake. Betty, how are you involved in this? You, you weren't in the accident, were you? Oh, no, no, I just witnessed it. Was anyone hurt? No. It didn't do the cars any good, though. Well, you didn't have anything to do with it. No, but I'm signed up. He took my name. Reynolds did? Yes, Father. At first, I was going to hurry away so I wouldn't get involved. But then I remembered what you said about being a good citizen and volunteering to help. I see. So when Bob jumped out of his car and he came over toward me, I just stood there and gave him my name and my address. You know. You'd have been better off if you just walked away. No, Margaret, that's where you're wrong. Betty did the right thing. I've never seen such wonderful eyes before. As an insurance man, I know how hard it is to get witnesses in these accident cases. Everyone is afraid of being dragged into court. And that's an entirely wrong attitude. Well, what I meant, dear, We should be was... willing and eager to volunteer any information that will aid justice being done. We agree, dear. Well, it's true. You did the right thing, Betty. I'm proud of you. Well, thanks, Father. But, Creepers, I don't know what I'll say when I get on the witness stand. Well, that's nothing to worry about. You just tell the truth. Well, yes, but... Anyway, chances are the case will never get to court. Most of these cases are settled by the insurance companies. Were there any other witnesses? No, I was the only one. Well, then, Mr. Brown Eyes is practically a cinch. One witness, if there's only one, carries a lot of weight. Well, I hope so. He was so nice. But in any event, just tell the truth. Well, the only trouble is, I, I'm not sure what is the truth. What do you mean? Well, when Bob took down my name, he asked me if I saw the woman go through a red light, and I said yes, and he put that down, too. Well, that's all right. But after I got thinking about it, I couldn't remember whether the light was red or green. I don't even remember seeing a traffic light. Oh, fine. All I remember is those deep brown eyes. Well, I wouldn't worry. Sounds like that woman hasn't a chance. It'll never go to court. <gasps> That's probably the court now with the summons for me. No, it isn't. Hello? Oh, yes, Mrs. Paisley. Oh? When was that? I see. Well, you come in in the morning and make a full report to Mr. Roberts. He's in charge of that. Oh? Well, we'll do what we can, Mrs. Paisley. And we'll see you in the morning. Yes. Goodbye. Oh, me. Who's Mrs. Paisley? She happens to be a very big insurance client of mine. And she also happens to be the woman who was involved in that accident with brown eyes. Oh, really? Your client? And according to her, it was Brown Eyes who ran the signal, not her. Did she say that? Yes. And she said there was a girl who saw the accident, and if we can locate that girl, she'll prove it was Reynolds' fault. Oh, no. And I thought this was one good deed that I wouldn't be involved in. <laughs> Me and my big, fat lectures. <laughs> Thank you.
Even though Jim Anderson still feels that the basis of good citizenship lies in voluntary performance of one's civic duties, he regrets having pounded home the message so firmly. In each instance where the children tried to carry out his advice, the civic duty somehow involved him. It's noon of the next day now, and as Margaret and Betty await the arrival of the other members of the family for lunch, Margaret has a few words of advice for her eldest daughter, like this. Betty, you've just got to stop worrying about this witness business. You're going to make yourself sick. I know it, but I can't help it, Mother. Your father says hardly any of these cases ever go to court anyway now, so forget it. I'll try. If you were to be called as a witness, you'd have heard by now. But if I am called, I just don't know what to say. If I'm on Bob Reynolds' side, why, then Father's insurance company will lose the case. Well, don't worry about that. I'm sure that's all in a day's work for an insurance company. That's what they're in business for. What kind of a daughter would I be testifying against my own father's company? Mm. Well, help me set the table and forget it, will you? But on the other hand, if I testify for Father, then I'll betray poor Bob. And he has such beautiful eyes. <laughs> well, Betty, honey, you can't switch around and testify for whomever you please. All you can do is tell the truth. That's another thing. I'm not sure what actually happened. Mother, I just can't go through with this. Hi, Mommy. Lunch ready? Mm, almost, Kathy. By the time you wash your hands, it will be. Hi, Betty. You been to court yet? No. When do you go? Can I come and watch? Kathy, don't talk about it. Just go and wash. Hi, Mom. Dad home yet? Not yet, bud. I wish she'd hurry. They want to know what acts he's worked up for the hijinks. Betty, will you have to say if you're guilty or not guilty? Mother, will you please make her keep quiet? Oh, turn blue. <laughs> girls, girls. What's all this squabble about? Is it about Betty going to jail? I'm not going to jail. I'm going to court. Well, practically the same thing. It is not. All right, children. Let's don't start a fight. I think I heard your father come in the front door. Oh, boy. I've got to get on him right away about those acts. hope he's still speaking to me. Oh, Betty, stop that. Hello, Jim. Well, you look tired. No, I'm not tired. I just had a sort of an undermining experience this morning. You say, Dad... Hello, son. Well, what happened, dear? Dad... Oh, it seems that word has gotten all over town that the insurance company's gone on the rocks and I'm out of a job. What? Gee, Father, is it on account of losing the Reynolds case? No, 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 we haven't lost any case, and it has nothing to do with that. Dad. What caused the whole thing is that suit of mine Kathy gave away. Oh, say, I heard today that the man who was real awful thankful for the suit said it just fit him peachy. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Dad. Dear, I don't follow this at all. What happened? Well, I got a strange phone call from Ed Grayson this morning. Offering me a job at his place. A job? And right on top of that, Ray Dickens called and said they might have a place for me in their organization. Well, that's strange. Dad. And then I, uh, <laughs> finally found out through a grapevine of secretaries that Grayson saw this fellow wearing my suit and hat in the line at the unemployment bureau. <laughs> he thought it was me. Oh, for goodness sakes. <laughs> Well, this is no laughing matter, Margaret. That sort of thing doesn't help a man's business standing, especially when it gets spread all over town. Oh, it's not all over town. Apparently just two people know it. Well, you know how that kind of news spreads. <laughs> Dad. What is it, bud? Well, Dad, I, I've got to Father, you know... didn't explain what happened in the accident case. Holy cow. 
<laughs> oh, I don't know, Betty. Roberts is handling that. He's taking it up with a man from Reynolds Insurance Company this noon. Is that when they decide if it goes to court? Possibly, but I don't think it will. Dad. Will they call me in right away? <laughs> I said I don't think it'll go to court. However, you could be of value in helping settle it, though. There seems to be a wide difference of opinion on what happened. Who entered the intersection first, Reynolds or Mrs. Paisley? Um, I think it was Mrs. Paisley. Well, good. Or maybe it was Bob Reynolds. Oh, fine. I know it was one or the other. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're sure of something. Dad. Which would be better for Bob? Betty, that's not quite the way cases are conducted. Mm. That's what I've been trying to tell her. All you have to do is switch around on your testimony just once, and you can be convicted of perjury. Really? Can I go and visit Betty in jail? <laughs> Kathy, child, for goodness sake, stop talking like that. Dad. Betty's worried herself half sick as it is. Oh, don't worry her anymore. Dad. If they call me, I just don't know what I'll do. Kathy. What do you want, bud? Nothing. I just wanted to see if somebody would talk to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, bud. What do you want? Well, it's about the hijinks entertainment, Dad. Oh, that. They want to pin up programs, and they have to know what acts you've got lined up right away. They do, huh? Yeah. You haven't got a whole lot of time left. How much time have I got? Uh, 11 minutes. What? Well, the deadline is at 12.30. They're going to call here and get the list from you. Oh, me. Well, what funny acts have you thought up so far, Dad? Uh, so far? Yeah. Well, Bud, to be honest, I haven't had a minute's time to even think about it. You haven't? Dad, the deadline is 12.30. Yes, I know that. Uh, maybe we could, uh... Well, how about that quartet at my lodge? They have a couple of comedy numbers and... They had them last year. Oh. Well, the Masterson family all play harmonicas. They, they have a little band and... Had them last year. Oh. Well, uh... How about... Had them last year. <laughs> When will I tell you who I was going to suggest? Well, who is it? Uh, well, I hadn't really thought up anybody yet. <laughs> I'm sure they had them last year anyway. I don't know whether you two impresarios know it or not, but while this weighty discussion is going on, your food's on the table and everything's getting cold. I'm eating. Well, good for you, Kathy. She's the only normal one around here. Did you hear that, Bud? I'm normal. So what? <laughs> Betty, please sit down and try to eat a little something. It might make you feel better. Oh, I just don't feel like it, Mother. I don't know what I'll do when they call me. They're not going to. Tell them you're sick in bed. Mm, fat lot of good that'd do. I've seen pictures in the paper where they haul witnesses into court on stretchers. Dad, you better get to thinking. Deadline's getting close. I'm thinking. How about, uh... Oh, gosh, that's them. What are you going to tell them, Dad? Oh, that's for me. I know it is. Father, what am I going to tell them? Well, someone better answer that, or there won't be anybody there to tell anything to. Say, that's a good idea. I'll get it. Oh, she would. Hello? Who? Oh, I wish I weren't here. Oh, yes? Think fast, Ed. you got to tell them something. Just a minute. Oh, dear, I don't know what to tell them. Sit down, Betty. It's not for you. Daddy, it's for you. Me? It's the program committee, Dad. Well, but I don't know what to tell them. Well, make up something. They're depending on you. Mm. Hello. Who did you say this was? The Unemployment Bureau. 
Yes, this is Jim Anderson, but I don't know anyone by that name. Potter, did you say? Oh, Daddy, Daddy, that's the man. Just a minute. What did you say, Kathy? Mr. Potter, that's the man I gave your suit to. Oh. That's him. Well, he gave my name as a reference. I don't even know him. Jim, he's probably desperate, and he's only trying to get started. But go see who's at the front door. Okay. Hello? Well, yes, I have a sort of a connection with this man, Potter. I didn't place him for a minute there. I see. Well, what kind of work is he looking for? Uh-huh. What uh, experience has he had? Uh, what kind of jobs has he held? It's for you, Betty. Some geek by the name of Reynolds. Reynolds? Oh, Mother, they've come for me. <laughs> well, for heaven's sakes, it's not as bad as all that. Go in there and talk to him. Oh, I can't. I just can't. Uh, just a minute, sir. Will you please stop all that moaning? I can't hear a thing on the phone. Go in there, Betty, and talk to him. This doesn't mean you're going to jail or anything. If you do, I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> oh, you keep quiet. All right, now, I wonder if you'd repeat that list. I'll bet the program committee's trying to call us right now. Wait a minute. What was that last one? Are you sure about that? Well, does he still have all the equipment or, or whatever he used? Ask if he still likes his suit. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, would you give me his phone number? Oh, well, then give me his address. I'll go over and see him. I know where he lives. 1814 South Menlo. All right, fine. And thanks for calling. Goodbye. Dad, look at the clock. 1230. What do you say about him, Jim? Does he still well, now, wait one at a time. Uh-oh, that's them, Dad. What are we going to do? Go ahead and answer it. Well, okay. Tell us about Mr. Potter, Jim. Oh? Oh, hi. Yeah, just a minute. Well, Dad, it's the program committee. Fine. Tell them that the show will be headlined by a sensational comedy juggling act that once played the old Palace Theater in New York. Are you kidding? No. The name of the act is Potter and Patter. Potter? Tell them that, Bud. Okay. Hey, Dad says the show's going to be a sensational act from New York. Potter and Patter. Is this true, Jim? Yes. Potter's an old vaudevillian and evidently was pretty good in his day. Yeah, comedy and juggling and everything. His wife works the act with him. Got that? Okay. Yeah, I'll see you later. Bye. Oh, boy, did that set their old ears flapping, especially when I said New York. Yes, that's a magic word. Boy, you sure did it, Dad. I got to hand it to you. Well, thank you, son. Lucky I gave Mr. Potter that suit, wasn't it, Daddy? Yes, kitten, luckiest thing in the world. Mother! Mother! Oh, dear, poor Betty. I hope this thing doesn't upset her too much. Mother, guess what? I'm going with Bob Reynolds. To court? No. To jail? No, to the Terra Supper Club. <laughs> Not a place for a trial. Well, there's no trial. He said that was all settled by the insurance companies. And, Father, you know those wonderful brown eyes of his? And by now, who doesn't? They're not brown at all. They're blue. <laughs> oh, me. Couldn't even get that right. <laughs> Now, before our final surprise of the show, let's join Margaret and Betty in the kitchen. Betty, where's the new jar of postum I asked you to get? Oh, oh, I forgot all about it and the excitement and all. I'm... Well, you better get some before supper. You know how your father loves his postum. You can't blame Jim Anderson either. Postum 
is a mighty comforting drink, especially at night. For you see, unlike coffee and tea, instant postum contains no caffeine, nothing to keep you awake or make you nervous. Now, of course, caffeine doesn't bother many people, but then why take chances? Maybe it does bother you. So how about joining Jim and the millions of others who drink caffeine-free postum regularly? Well, Jim's sage words regarding true citizenship finally paid off, as Jim now steadfastly maintains he always knew they would. The Junior High Y hijinks with its entertainment chairman, James Anderson, is now a matter of record. As a matter of fact, one of the best reports on it was delivered by Jim himself to his wife as he prepared for bed after the hijinks that night. It uh, went something like this. And you should have heard the applause, Margaret. They wouldn't let the Potters get off the stage. Oh, I'm so happy it turned out that way. And after the thing was over, they voted this the best show they ever had. Even better than last year. I bet Bud was proud of you. Yeah, his eyes really sparkled. That was worth the whole thing. Even worth volunteering for? Hmm? Uh, Definitely. (laughs) But, Margaret, the greatest thrill of all was seeing the look in the eyes of the Potters while they were performing. It seemed as though they were suddenly living again. I wish I could have seen it. I wish so, too. And uh, you know that suit I was moaning about losing? Yes. Well, it never looked better than it did tonight. Never. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson. Until then, good night and good luck from the makers of Post 40% Brand Flakes, America's largest selling brand flakes, and Instant Postum, the drink that's entirely caffeine-free. In our cast were Ted Donaldson as Bud, Dorothy Lovett, Barry Lee Robb, and Helen Strome. Transcribed in Hollywood and written by Paul West and Roswell Rogers. This is Bill Foreman speaking. When you drive too fast for winter's road conditions, you are gambling with your life and the lives of others. Join America's professional truck drivers in their current crusade against excessive speed and help reduce traffic accidents. Tonight, play Truth or Consequences on NBC. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with the Screen Guild Theater and the production of True to Life, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.